0: Welcome to the Christ Community Church podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Uh, George Washington was one of the greatest leaders our country has ever known. Uh, One of my favorite Washington stories dates back to 1783 toward the close of the Revolutionary War. Uh, Washington, as I'm sure you know, he was commander-in-chief of the American forces in the Revolutionary War. And this was a time of crisis for our army. Our our soldiers' uniforms were in tatters. Uh, They were short on food. They hadn't been paid in several months. Their families back home, they were getting word, were were destitute, and there was talk of mutiny. In fact, some of the soldiers were saying we should march on Philadelphia and take over the Continental Congress at gunpoint. And uh, they, they tried to flatter Washington by saying, of course, we'll make you king if we do this. So Washington had to confront this. He gathered all the soldiers' together. One biographer says this was the most important single gathering in the history of the United States. Wow, seriously, our our fledgling democracy was at stake. So Washington tried to, uh, he tried to reason with the soldiers, but they weren't buying his arguments. And so finally he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a letter that he had from a congressman. It was a a letter making yet another promise of resources are coming if you'll just patiently wait. And then he reached into his pocket for his glasses so that he could read the letter. Now, most of the soldiers had never seen Washington's glasses before. As he settled them onto his nose, Washington said, Permit me to put on my spectacles. For I have not only grown gray, but almost blind in the service of my country. I've not only grown gray, but almost blind in the service of my country. That brief comment dramatically changed the mood of the gathering. Suddenly, everyone was thinking about the selfless way in which their fearless leader had served the cause of liberty. Washington's humility... Washington's humility accomplished what his arguments had been unable to do. The hard-heartedness of the soldiers was replaced by a spirit of cooperation. Some of the men even began to weep silently. Well, today we're, we're in week four of a five-part series called What It Takes to Lead. And our topic today is humility. Humility. The, the series is drawing life lessons leadership lessons from the the, the life of Moses. And we've been studying the first half of the book of Exodus. So I'd like to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 15 with me. I hope you brought a Bible with you. Uh, We like to mark them up as we go. So if you don't have a Bible yet, I encourage you to pick one up at resource and bring it along. Take out your outline as well. You'll find it in the program or on one of the mobile devices. Uh, What it takes to lead. We've been looking at one-word leadership qualities. First week it was calling. Second week it was resilience. Last week it was faith. Today, if you want to be a leader, here's the one-word quality, humility. We're taking a look at Moses' humility. The, The dictionary defines humility as the absence of arrogance, the absence of haughtiness. And interestingly, this may have been Moses' most dominant leadership characteristic because the Bible specifically makes note of Moses' humility. Numbers, chapter 12, verse 3, says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Wow, that's saying something. More, More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, some of you may know that Moses was the guy who wrote the book of Numbers so perhaps you're thinking well you know is he beating his own drum here tooting his own horn but if you look up numbers 12 verse 3 in your bible you'll see it's in parentheses and and that's because it wasn't a part of the original uh, narrative that moses wrote it was an editor's comment added later on as kind of a, a a summary of what everybody knew about Moses what everybody had observed about Moses that he was an extraordinarily humble leader now now we most often associate humility with someone's refusal to boast about their personal accomplishments but that's not why Moses got this label Moses humility like George Washington's humility was demonstrated by the way in which he dealt with grumbling, rebellious, annoying people. Let me say that again. Moses' humility was demonstrated, listen, by the gracious way in which he dealt with grumbling, rebellious, annoying people. So do you want to be a leader? Guess what kind of people you're going to have to deal with from time to time. As a boss leading employees, as a parent leading your kids, as a teacher leading the classroom, as a coach leading a sports team, as a salesperson leading customers, as a ministry director at Christ Community Church leading volunteers, whatever leadership role you fill, you will face your share of grumbling, rebellious, annoying people. So what can we learn from Moses about humility, the sort of humility that will equip us to handle these situations. Four lessons. Jot these down. Four lessons. If we have time, we'll even throw in a a fifth. Lesson number one, address the problem. Address the problem. Humbly address the problem. Now, as we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 15, middle of the, the chapter, let me recap what's happened, okay? Just before this, God has parted the waters of the Red Sea He's led his people through on dry ground, and then when the Egyptian army tries to follow, God drowns them. He destroys their enemy. These are some of the biggest miracles in the Bible. Okay, so you would think that the people would be euphoric for a long time after this, but three days later, less than half a week later, they've started to grumble. So we're gonna pick up the story Uh, In chapter 15, verse 22, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. That's because, they they called it this because people were asking Moses, do you know where you're going? And he said, sure. It's cold outside, right? So, all right. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Mara, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Mara. Mara in Hebrew means bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water and the water became fit to drink. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God, for your holy word. Can you believe these people? <laughs> they have just been taken through the Red Sea by God's almighty hand, and less than a half a week later, they're, they're, they're grumbling. They're grumbling. Where's the water? Where's the water? You know, we're all going to deal from time to time if we find ourselves in leadership with, with grumblers. You know These people their grumbling was a sinful response, especially in light of what God had done. And, and yet, at the same time that it was a, a sinful response, because grumbling is, is always sinful. In fact, the Bible says that grumbling is one of the most heinous sins we could commit. You know, uh, uh, if, if, if that sounds over the top to you, let me just point out, grumbling communicates uh, to God that you're messing up. You, you know, you're not doing your job. Grumbling communicates distrust, discontent, disgruntlement, ultimately with God. So it's, it's a sinful response to any predicament. However, in this case, it was a sinful response to a genuine problem. And sometimes that's what grumbling is. It's a sinful response to a genuine problem. The genuine problem is they were without water. They'd been without water for three days, and they're going through the desert. One of the first times I was in Israel, first day, our tour guide told us, "Wherever you go, take a water bottle with you." And I remember thinking, "Yeah, I'm like a camel. I never, I never carry a water bottle around. I don't take a water bottle to the gym. I don't, you know, I don't have a water bottle when I'm mowing the lawn on a hot day. You know, I'll grab a drink afterwards. So I didn't take a water bottle." Like one hour into our first day, I was begging a fellow tourist for just a sip, please, of your water bottle. So this, this, these were dire circumstances. If, if you're a le- leader, the people you lead will occasionally drum- grumble. Your instinctive reaction will be to resent their grumbling. And in, indeed, their grumbling will, will always be misbehavior on their part because whining is never the right way to respond to a problem. However, if you will humbly, if you will humbly overlook the grumbling, you may discover that there's a legitimate problem that needs to be addressed. So instead of focusing on the grumbling, focus on fixing the problem. Uh, Each of my uh, two grown daughters uh, now has two kids, and they they both have five-year-old daughters and three-year-old sons. And I have learned so much about how to handle grumbling from watching my, my daughters, because my grandkids will whine from time to time. And now when, when I was raising my daughters and they would whine, you know, I had a couple of uh, default responses. One was to say, "Stop your whining." <laughs> you yeah. And when that didn't work, then I would threaten, you know, if you don't stop whining, then you're going to lose ice cream, or you're going to lose TV, or you're going to go to your room for a timeout. Now, I'm watching my daughters, and they handle it completely differently. You know, when when their kids whine, they tend to overlook the grumbling and try to find out, so what's behind this whining? It's brilliant, really. I don't know why. I I never thought of this approach when I was a parent. This, 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 this is what Moses did. You, you can bet that Moses was annoyed by the Israelites' grumbling. But the first thing he did was to address the problem of their legitimate thirst. So how did he do that? Well, he went to God and he said, God, you, you got to do something. See, when your problem is thirst and you're in the middle of the desert, you have no other resources. you got to go to God. So he prayed and God provided water in abundance. So humility in leadership, when you're facing grumblers, address the problem. Humbly address the problem. Number two, humbly redirect attention to God. So after Moses miraculously, or God miraculously provides water for the Israelites in the desert, their their journey continues, They're, they're headed to the promised land, and less than a month later, they are grumbling again, big time. And it's not water, they want this go around, it's it's meat. They want something substantial to eat. And they they complain to Moses. And if you read their complaint, it's humorous because it's so crazy. You know, they say to Moses, Yeah, back in Egypt, we used to sit around big pots of meat. Right. You know, we 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 had all we could eat, they told him. You know, they're making it sound like Egypt was a Brazilian steakhouse, right? But but let me tell you something, Pharaoh's all-you-can-eat buffet, it was a figment of their imagination. It was a very fanciful recollection of the past. And when the people you lead grumble, they will often tell you how wonderful things used to be in the good old days. You know, before you were their leader. Once again, God chose to overlook the Israelites' whining. He promised Moses to send the people quail the next day. Quail is a game bird that is common in the Middle East. But God's provision of quail, it would be a miracle because the quail would arrive at just the right place, at just the right time, and in just the right amount. I mean, there would need to be enough quail to feed two million Israelites. So Moses went to the Israelites with this good news. But he also had something to say about their grumbling. Now, one of the Bible study tips that I have taught you before is whenever you're reading a passage of scripture, always look for repeating words or ideas, okay? Because if something gets repeated again and again, you know this is something God wants to emphasize. So let me read Exodus 16, verses 6 to 9, and if you got your own Bible, this is where you get to mark it up. Circle the word grumble or grumbling every time it pops up. Okay, verse, verse 6 of Exodus 16. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your, say it with me, grumbling, grumbling. Grumbling. So, what is the big point that Moses wants the Israelites to get here? It's the fact that when they they, they grumble, they're not grumbling against him. They're grumbling against who? God! You know, their beef is with the Lord. Now, leaders, there is a lesson here for us. You see, our natural tendency is to take people's grumbling personally. So when we're leading people and they're grumbling, we get defensive or we're insulted, we're wounded, we're resentful. Moses was smart enough to realize that even though the Israelites were pointing the accusatory finger at him, the real complaint was with God who had allowed these difficult circumstances in their lives. So Moses refused to be made a target of their accusations. You familiar with the, uh, the Latin phrase, ad hominem? You know, if you're, you're a debater or you're in legal work, you're, you're familiar with this. The, the Latin means against the person. And here's the way it goes. When you're in an argument and you don't have good evidence, you don't have sound reasoning to make your point, what you do as a diversion, you attack the person. You, you just call into question their, their, their integrity. You slander their character. You make them out to be a bad guy. You know, people do, do this with their leaders all the time. You know, they're unhappy with the situation, and so they grumble against the leader. And Moses said, no, you know, I, I'm not going to take your grumbling personally because it's not about me, it's about God. Moses redirected their attention to God. Now, there was both a negative and a positive side to this redirection. Negatively speaking, Moses was warning the people that they better watch out. You guys better watch out because your grumbling is poking a finger in God's face. You're know, you you're accusing God of not caring for you. Is that really what you want to say? If, if you're a leader, sometimes you have to point out to people that they're, they're blaming you for circumstances that are entirely out of your control. You know, if they're believers, you may have to remind them, you know, it's, it's God who's ultimately in charge of the things you're grumbling about. When, when my kids were, uh, were teenagers and they would grumble about, you know, family rules or about curfews or about chores, you know, I, I would remind them that I was just doing the job that God had given me. And I would say, if you want to take it up with somebody, take it up with God, Okay, your, your, your grumbling is against God. Now, you may not always be quite that blunt with your grumblers, telling them that the real problem is with God. However, you do want to remind yourself of this reality so that you don't take the grumbling personally. Because if you take it personally, you're going to become discouraged. If you take it personally, you're going to become resentful. If you take it personally, you're going to become stalemated. You're not going to want to do anything that would cause somebody else to possibly grumble. If you take it personally, you're going to get really, really angry from time to time. And we're going to get to really, really angry when we get to lesson number four. That's the negative side of redirecting, redirecting your followers' attention to God. You know, blame him. Take it to God. Now, on the positive side, you want to help people understand that God is the one who's got the resources with which to help. So Moses couldn't provide two million Israelites with enough food to eat, but he knew that God could. And so he humbly, he humbly redirected the focus off of himself and on to God. It's God you want to go to. It's God you want to go to, and that, that's what we want to do as leaders. We want to teach grumblers to go to God with their needs. Now, some of you are thinking, I, I know, but what if I'm in, in a leadership position where I'm leading people who are not necessarily Christ followers? You know, I'm the director of my department at work or the captain of the basketball team or I'm a teacher in the public school system. How do I point grumblers to God and God's resources if I'm in a secular environment? Great question. Here's what I'd suggest. You can still point grumblers to positive resources, even if you don't deliberately tie them to God. You know, there may, there may be occasions when you can cite God as the source of them, but even if you can't, you could point them in a positive direction. You could point grumblers to a good book on a topic they're grumbling about or to a professional counselor or to some helpful habits or, or to relational activities that will, will lower the stress in their lives. You know, any resource that will offer them a a better coping strategy than grumbling. Get it? Good. Number three, what do you do about grumblers? It takes humility to deal with them. Number three, allow for consequences. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 16. God promised to provide the Israelites with with food to eat, and that, that food included meat in the form of quail. And bread in the form of manna. Now, manna is a Hebrew word that means, what is it? Because when this divinely provided bread arrived from heaven, the people had no idea what it was. They'd never seen it before. And so they asked manna, what what is it? If you, you remember when you were a kid and your mom tried out a brand new recipe on the family, remember that? And she put this strange concoction on the table for dinner and everybody wondered, but nobody dared ask, what is it? Okay, that's what's, what's going on here. If you're in Exodus, uh, chapter 16, drop down to verse 13. Verse 13. Uh, that evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, it's about three pounds worth, okay? Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Now, let me summarize what happens next. So the the people go out to collect. And the scripture says, it doesn't matter how much they collected. If if they collected a large amount or a small amount, miraculously, every person had just the right amount that they needed to eat. So God provides, once again. But the people disobey God in two flagrant ways. Okay, one way is God has told them to go out every morning and collect this, this manna. However, God says, don't collect more than you need and try to hoard it, storehouse it overnight. And so some of the people went out and they collected not only what they, they needed, they collected extra amounts. They were greedy. They got all they could and they stored it overnight. And the next morning they, they went in and looked at the manna. And, and this is kind of gross. It was covered with maggots, Scripture says. And it smelled like, like a high school gym locker. Okay. <laughs> Well, like my gym locker smell back in high school days. It was awful. And and Moses was a little bit ticked. You know, you guys can't follow simple instructions, really? And the, the other way they disobeyed God's clear instruction, God had said when, when the Sabbath is coming up, the Sabbath once a week is to be a day of rest, a day of worship. I don't want you working on the Sabbath. I don't want you collecting manna on the Sabbath. So here's what you can do. You can collect double the day before the Sabbath, and I'll see to it that it doesn't get maggotized, okay? So the people collect double, and, and sure enough, the next morning, it's still fresh, miraculously, but some of these jokers, these knuckleheads, they go out anyway to get even more on the Sabbath. And you know what they find? Nothing. There is nothing for all their labor. They're looking everywhere and there is no manna to be found. So God allows them to experience the negative consequences of their disgruntled behavior, whether that's maggots in the extra you collected when I said, trust me, just I'll provide more tomorrow, you don't have to collect extra today, or don't go out on the Sabbath and they went out anyway. So here's the lesson for us when we find ourselves leading grumblers. Sometimes the best response to them is not to scold them for their grumbling, or at the other extreme, not to cater, not to capitulate to their complaints. Sometimes the best response to grumblers is to humbly ignore them and allow them to experience the negative consequences of their disgruntled behavior. My mother-in-law was not typically a grumbler, but I can remember one occasion when she was caught grumbling. Okay, it had to do with her car. Uh, my, my father-in-law had bought her a new car. He bought her a two-door compact, and she had wanted a four-door sedan. Now, now, in, in fairness to my mother-in-law, I need to point out that she could have used the extra room, the larger car, uh, for a couple of activities that she engaged in on a regular basis. One, one was she would load up groceries and she would take them to poor people in the community, so she needed all the room uh, she could get. The other thing she would do is, uh, she would pick up kids on the wrong side of town, poor kids, and bring them to Sunday school at her church uh, every weekend. So she would have a car full, full of kids. So you know, she thought she deserved the four-door sedan, and so she grumbled to anyone who would listen about her two-door compact car. Well, one day she was at a coffee. A friend of hers was having a bunch of women over and uh, everyone had gotten there ahead of hers, so she was left parking across the street and after the event, one of the ladies backed out of the drive and T-boned mom's car and she crumpled the driver's side door just enough that you couldn't get it open. So for the next several weeks, mom, when she wanted to get into her car, she had to enter through the passenger side door and slide over to the steering wheel. And she apologetically announced to everyone who would listen, I am so sorry that I complained about my two-door car, because now it's a one-door car. <laughs> and and I, I, I love to give my mother-in-law a hard time. So I told her, I said, and mom, if you keep up your grumbling, you're going to lose that last door and God's going to have you crawling through the window. So so sometimes the best way to deal with grumblers is just to allow them to experience the negative consequences of their grumbling, their disgruntled behavior. Number four, you know, by the way, if you're thinking, well, you know, what does this look like? Do they, you know, always go from two-door cars down to one-one door cars? You know, the negative consequences could be something like losing a job. You know, they finally get fired for their bad attitude. It could be the loss of friends because nobody wants to hang around a, a, a grumbler. It could be losing solutions to their problems because instead of looking for solutions, they're always they're always grumbling. You know, may cost them personal happiness. So just, you know, the the principle, again, before we move on, the principle is let their manna get filled with maggots. Yeah, just let it happen to them. Okay, number four, don't lose it. Don't lose it. We are now in Exodus 17. At the top of the chapter, there's a heading for this part of the story. You see the heading in your Bible? What does it say over verse 1 here? Call it out. Good, water from the rock. So here's what happened. The Israelites continued to journey through the desert to the promised land. And once again, they got thirsty. Once again, they had nothing to drink. And you would think that by now they would learn, you know, what to do with their problem, right? You go to God. You tell God about your your problem. Didn't God miraculously provide water the last time they were desperately thirsty? But the Israelites, they were slow learners, Look at verse 2. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. The the word quarreled here, Bible scholars tell us, is even stronger than the word grumbled. The word quarreled has a rebellious edge to it. There's a a nasty mean streak to quarreling. In fact, if you look at verse 4, then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Well, God steps in again to help. God instructs Moses to take his staff and strike a nearby rock. Now, just tap the rock. And when Moses does that, water miraculously gushes out. It's another miracle. But I don't want to park on this miracle. Instead, I want to contrast this miracle with something that happened to Moses and the Israelites 40 years later that's recorded in the Old Testament book of Numbers. A little contrast here. Let me me give you some context. Moses and the Israelites eventually made it to the promised land, but they didn't go in. They sent spies in, and the spies came back and said, oh, these people are notoriously wicked and and violent, the people who live in this land. We could never take this land. Now, God had promised to protect the Israelites, had promised to give them the land, but they didn't trust God. They didn't believe. They said, we don't want the promised land. And God said, okay, you don't want it? Then you don't have to go in. You could wander around in the desert for the next 40 years until every last one of this unbelieving generation dies off. So that's what's happened, and it's now at the end of the 40-year period. They're still in the desert, but they had another occasion to grumble about lack of water. Well, this time around, God instructed Moses to speak to the rock. Don't strike it with your staff like you did 40 years ago. This time, I want you to speak to the rock, and the promise was that once again water would gush out. But by this time in the story, Moses was sick and tired of the Israelites' grumbling. By this point in the story, Moses had taken all he could take. He was maxed out, not a mass. So he gathered all the Israelites together and he reamed them out. He reamed them out. With Aaron, his brother and co-leader, standing beside him, he screamed, and this is recorded in Exodus 20, verse 10, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? And with that, Moses, filled with rage, beat the rock. He wailed on it. Well, God caused water to gush out of the rock, but he was not happy with Moses. Moses. God was not happy with Moses. In fact, and I'm giving away the end of the story here, God punished Moses for his out-of-control behavior by barring him from the promised land. Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. Now, why was God so upset with this angry leader? Well, for starters... Where, where does Moses get off saying, "Must we bring you water out of this rock?" I mean, really, when had Moses ever brought water out of a rock? See, this is something God had done. What in the world is Moses saying, "Do I have to do this?" He knew that was God's job. And Moses' characteristic humility had taken flight. Listen, those of you who want to be leaders, crumblers will get to you. They'll get to you. You will reach a place where you'll be tempted to exclaim, do I have to do everything? Whether those are the little kids in your family that you're leading or employees at work or the members of your sports team or, or whatever, when that happens, watch out. That's a dangerous place to be. I mean, your view of your own role is way too grandiose and you're, you're going to lose it. You're going to do something stupid. Side note here, okay? We, we've been recommending or have recommended three books during the course of this series, and they're, all three are available at resource if you want to purchase uh, one. one. One of them we mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's A Study of Moses by Chuck Swindoll, a great Bible teacher. In fact, it, it would be a great curriculum for your community group to consider. Uh, a, A second book that we offer is a commentary On the book of Exodus, from time to time people ask me as we're going through a portion of scripture, what's a good commentary? Well, good commentary on Exodus, we've got available at resource. It's a life application commentary, very easy to read. We'll give you the background of this particular Old Testament book. But the third book I want to recommend to you in the context of the point I'm making here right now is by a woman named Ruth Haley Barton, and it's called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, a great book. Great book on leadership, strengthening the soul of your leadership. And she draws from this story of Moses losing it and beating the rock, lessons for leaders who are tempted because of grumblers to lose it. Have you ever lost it with a grumbler? Have you ever laced your scolding with profanity or over the top accusations? Have you ever pushed send on a scalding email that you never should have sent? You ever slammed a door or pounded your desk to make a point? You ever made a decision about a, a grumbler that you wish you could take back? They got to you and you lost it and you made a rash decision. You can't get it back. When when, when my kids were small, one of the things they would grumble about was, you know, was dinner. Like that's been going on since the beginning of time, right? And so in our house, there was a rule. You had to eat whatever was put on your plate. However, we allowed you to choose one free pass food. Okay, you could declare one food as your pass. You didn't have to eat this whenever it was served. Now, my son, he tried to take advantage of that. He tried to, to name the color orange, as his free food. So anything carrots, sweet potatoes, tomatoes, And I said, dude, you can't go with a color. It's got to be a food. So so my daughter, Emily, one one night we're sitting there around the dinner table and she was complaining about the mushrooms on her plate. She wasn't going to eat the mushrooms. Now, I pointed out to her, mushrooms are not your free pass food, okay? So sweetie, you're going to eat those or you're going to sit here until they're eaten, whether that's 10 o'clock tonight, you know, I don't care, but you're going to eat them. And so she sat there, and she ate one at a time, and she gagged on each one. Just, it was a forced gag type of thing. you know. And sure enough, she forced herself to eventually throw up the two or three she'd already eaten. Well, I lost it at that point. So I took her by the arm, and I marched her into another room, and I gave her a couple swats on the behind. Now, it was, it was not a spankable offense. Now, I, it was not a violent spanking, but still, it was not a spankable offense offense. And the reason I'm telling you this is, isn't it interesting that a couple of decades later I can still recall this and still regret it? And still regret it. And you you know what? Emily has long forgiven me for that. Get over it, Dad. (laughs) Moses lost it, and he said things he should have never said. And what's worse, he struck the rock. God had said, speak to the rock, and he beat the rock. Now, what did the rock represent? The rock represented God. See, Who's the provider of the water? that gushed out. God provided the water. In a sense, Moses was wailing on God. In fact, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, he recounts the Old Testament story of Moses beating on the rock, and he says, that rock pointed to Christ. What's Paul saying? He's saying Christ took a beating. Christ got nailed to a cross. For what? Because of all the bad things we've ever done. Not just our grumbling. Not just our outrage, but our lust, and our materialism, and our arrogance, and our irreverence, and our gossip, and our dishonesty. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, Jesus took the beating you deserve. He took the punishment for your sins. And what did you get in return? You got water. You got sin, cleansing, soul, refreshing, life-giving water. Jesus took the beating for your sin. And you got washed in the water he provided and refreshed and made new. You ever surrendered your life to Christ? You know, and, and this is the antidote that will then keep us from losing it with the grumblers that we lead. See, so if, you, if you try some other approach, and you get grumblers in your life, so you're going to count to 10. Well, how's that working for you, huh? You know, when, you, when you're up to about 75, 76, and you're still angry. Or another approach, people say, well, just remind yourself of all the good qualities of the grumbler. Yeah, right. <laughs> Go to the gym and hit a punching bag call a friend and replay the story, all you've had to put up with. Will will those methods keep you from losing it? I doubt it. The, The way we keep from losing it is by reminding ourselves of what Christ endured for us on the cross. We gave him a beating. We struck the rock, and he gave us the water of forgiveness and new life in return. And so when we humbly, listen friends, when we humbly Humbly see ourselves in this light. We are suddenly more compassionate more patient with our grumblers. Now, I, I put a fifth lesson about a leader's humility in your notes. I knew we probably wouldn't have time to get to it, and we don't. But let me help you fill in the blank, because some of you are anal in this regard, and you're going to grumble if I don't give you the word. <laughs> fill this in. But I want to be able to release you across our, our four campuses To get to that ministry fair in your in your lobby and and to write out a note or two to a a volunteer you'd like to thank so let me give you the the, this last one and i don't feel bad about skipping it because it's actually not in the, the the exodus passage that we're looking at it's in the book of numbers and sometimes if you read the book of numbers life of moses leadership lessons you'll find that that the thing moses did uh, first, every time he ran into grumblers, is he would do a face plant. He would get on his face before God and intercede. He would pray for the grumblers. I mean, there were occasions when God had taken enough of the grumblers and said to Moses, Moses, just stand back. I'm going to destroy him. And Moses dropped to his face and said, God, don't do that. Please forgive them. And, and now if it had been me, I would have said, God, is this far enough back? You know, <laughs> do it. You know, you can't do this. You can't pray for grumblers unless you, you, you go back to the previous point about not, how do you not lose it. It's when you see yourself as the one who has struck the rock and gotten water in return. When you see yourself in that light, then you will have the humility that's necessary to pray for the grumblers in your life. And we're going to do that right now. Okay, We're going to pray for grumblers. And then we're going to ask the campus pastors to dismiss you and give you any final instructions about the ministry fair. Let's just bow together in a word of prayer, though. Three parts to this prayer. First part is this. Would you acknowledge before God that you've beaten the rock that Jesus was struck for your sins, your grumbling included. In fact, just remind yourself right now, remind yourself of incidents this past week that you have grumbled over. Do you know that all your grumbling and all your irritation and annoyance and anger with grumblers, all of that was laid upon Christ if you've surrendered your life to him? He paid for all that. Would you just acknowledge that? God, I'm a grumbler. There are many other sins that I'm guilty of. And it all got laid on you at the cross. Second part of this prayer, would you thank Jesus that when he was struck for your sins, his response was to gush out the water of forgiveness and new life on your life and just say, oh, thank you. Let me drink deeply of your forgiveness and new life today, Lord Jesus. Just tell him how grateful you are that his water cleansed you from sin and refreshed your soul and gave you new life. And now you're ready to deal with your grumbler. So call a a grumbler to mind right now and pray for that person. Ask God's blessing on that person. Ask God to meet the need that's behind the grumbling. Ask God to give you greater patience with them, to give you wisdom to know how to deal with them, when when to let their grumbling go and let negative natural consequences set in and and when it needs to be addressed. Just, Just pray for your grumbler right now. If you've never surrendered to Christ, don't forget to say that to Jesus, this is what I want. I hear this description of you being struck for my sins and returning water as a response, and that's what I want for my life. You tell them that. That's what you'll get right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for the, the practical way in which your word speaks to us. Thank you for the leadership lessons we've been learning from Moses. Help us in every arena of our lives where we're called upon to lead, to follow suit. We pray in your name. Amen.